As we stand, I want to read some uh, three scriptures from the book of First Chronicles chapter 12 as I try to bring together what I believe God has for you this morning. The first one is in uh, First Chronicles 12 verse 1. Now these are they that came to David to Ziglag while he was while he kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men, helpers of the war. Now, now it's, it's very important to understand that Ziglag was a bad place to be in. Right? And the only reason David was in Ziglag is because he doubted God's ability to bring deliverance. And, and he compromised his faith, and he went to a Philistine king, and asked for a city of refuge. And it's interesting, during the prayer time, uh, the, uh, the, the, the pastor said, God doesn't move, we move. And if ever our lives are out of line with the divine purpose, it is because only somewhere we moved. But God still doesn't move. And we're going to discuss that whole Ziglang thing. Because David's destiny wasn't in Ziglang, it was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, okay. And uh, sometimes we end up in Ziglag because we rush our decisions. And then we're in a bad place, we're in an isolated place. And yet, God in his grace and favor sends somebody to minister a word of grace to us. That's what grace is about. Then, verse 16. And there came out of the children of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was a tribe that was opposed to David because Saul was the king that uh, came from Benjamin, and Judah to the old unto David. And David went out to meet them, and answered and said unto them, If you have come peaceably unto me to help me, my heart shall be knit unto you. But if you become have come to betray me to my enemies, seeing there is no wrong in my hand, the God of our fathers looked therefore and rebuked it. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was chief of the captains, and he said, Thine are we, David, and on thy side, thou son of Jesse, for we see God helps you. And then verse 38 and 39 says, All these men of war that could keep rank. Now that's vital. In a battle, unity is a prerequisite among warriors. If an army is divided, there's little chance of victory. If a household is divided, with one party pulling one way and the other party pulling one way, you can't win a battle. So we can take this principle and apply it to our personal lives. We can apply it to the life of a church. When a church is relationally in tension, it can't go forward. It stagnates. So then they came to him with a perfect heart to make David king and all the rest of Israel were one heart to make David king. There was a unified vision and a unified purpose. They were different personalities. And, and I, I just try to understand how David became a great leader. In spite of all his limitations, he had the ability to bring people together. And that's what we are looking for in the church. You may be here five months, you may be here one month, you may be here five years. But, but if, if you understand the oneness that, uh, and the culture that we are trying to create here, then you can come and t t tell one of us, look, I, I want to do something. I I'm willing to serve. We, we have an amazing number of people who are in their 70s. 70s. Look who's talking. Right. And uh, they have found their place of ministry because their heart is one with ours. 
we can't change the direction of that vision to accommodate somebody who comes from some other church and says, you know, Pastor, can you do it this way, that way? Sorry, we can't. Because that is setting concrete. That's not my vision. That's God's vision given to us, and we just steward it. And don't lose an opportunity. So there are two sets of people in this story. One is David, who is in Ziglag. Ziglag is not a place of destiny. It's a place of defeat. But God in his grace comes through a group of people, and they say, David, we can take you from Ziglag to Jerusalem. That is what preaching the gospel is all about. Preaching the gospel is not about putting tracks in your front pocket, hip pocket, side pocket, and we're just giving them and absolving ourselves of our personal responsibility to share the gospel individually with people who are at Zinglag and to tell them, you might be in a bad place this morning. You might be in a hurting place this morning. You might be in a place where you made a couple of bad choices, and we all do, but we can help you go to Jerusalem where you can find your destiny. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the power of your word to transform our thinking. Lord, we honor this house because you said where two or three are gathered in our midst, you are there. You are here this morning. We may not feed you, we may not see you, but your promise says you are there. And so we believe it. And so this morning we pray through the power of your word, you will help those who are at Ziglang walk into destiny and purpose that is in Jerusalem. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I, I've uh, used that text this morning on, on my overhead is uh, the power of a God-given vision. The power of a God-given vision. Every one of us is called to a vision by God. Everyone, there are no exceptions. No exceptions. God's desire is that every one of us be an instrument in his hands for the extension of his kingdom. And I would challenge you to think of your life in terms of kingdom value, not the stuff you accumulated and the houses you build and uh, whatever you have. No, no, no. In terms of kingdom value, where are you positioned today? What does God want you to do personally? David was given a vision by God and a destiny in 1 Samuel 16. He was not valued as a person by his fathers, by his brothers, but he was valued by God. And David knew how to function in that validation. David knew that God had used the prophet to take the anointing oil and put it on his life. And yet, in spite of that knowledge, because God didn't work within the timing that David thought God should work, he, he gets tired of, of fighting and avoiding Saul, and, and he goes to Ashish, the king uh, of the Philistines, the enemy, and he says, can you give me a place of refuge to live? And sometimes in life, that is true of all of us. We get tired of the fighting, the spiritual battles, and you just tell yourself, you know, I'm done with this Christian stuff. And a lot of people walk away from God because we are human. And so we move away from God, but God doesn't move away from us. That's the reality. And so David is in a place called Ziglai. 
And when you do a study of the place, you, you begin to realize that it's a place where you are pressed down. And the Philistines, the word Philistine means to wear down. So when God has a destiny for your life, the enemy will push you towards Zinglang. And you don't know it. And you are pressed down. And you're wearied. Sometimes we are wearied through dissipated living. Because our center has shifted. Some people come to church on Sunday morning, none of you, all of you look well, you know, and they're half asleep. Because on Saturday night they went out and sowed wild oats and they come to church on Sunday morning praying for a crop failure. I'm not talking about that. You know, Saturday is party night. That's good. Sometimes we need to do that. But on Sunday, it's a day be set apart for God. And if you don't, your center shifts. And then you get into a mess and you're praying for deliverance on Monday night, but God says, come back to the center. Amen? So, so, so David's center has shifted. His destiny was in Jerusalem, not Ziegling. But David knew even in that bad time that God still had a plan for his life and he waited. And when you and I know God has a plan for our lives, we wait well. Important. God's timing is different to human timing. God operates outside of time because he's Yahweh. When we think of time, we think of the clock and we think of the calendar. God doesn't. God was outside time. And the more you understand the timing of God, the more you wait well for that timing to come to pass you don't try to coerce, manipulate, or drive God to do something against his time. David has already made one mistake by asking a Philistine king for a city of refuge because he got tired of waiting. But now, as he's there, he begins to reframe his mind. In Psalm 31 verse 15, the, the psalmist says, My time are in your hands. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, The vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Wait for it. Wow. So it's important for us to understand timing. How does God work in my situation in the context of his timing? When we wanted to migrate to Australia, we were in a situation where we went uh, and got some forms filled in 1983. You know, we were trying to get out of the country very quickly because things were not easy at that time, not economically, but, but racially. And uh, so we did, and then we did the second best thing. We went to church to pray. Okay. And so we decided we'll fast and pray because that's what the Bible teaches us. So we went there, and then with this Bible, I st still remember, uh, this Bible is about 50 years old, 60 years old. I opened my Bible in the book of Isaiah, I think it was somewhere in Isaiah 52, where I got a promise. Now, you know how people get excited when we get promises. That's why we go to all these prophets who are in town, Sri Lanka, wherever, and we want a word from God, you know, because we are too lazy to open our Bibles and sit with the Bible and the God speaks to us. So we, we, we got a promise which says, you shall not go, not go by haste. haste. 
nor by flight, but the Lord thy God will go with you when you go. Wow, that's an encouraging promise, isn't it? We were ready to buy our tickets and take off. But God said, you should not go by haste. So you know what we did? I told her, prayer time over, closed the Bible, went down to a well-known restaurant in, in, in Colombo, had a good lunch and went home because the fasting wasn't going to work. God's word had a finality in it. So I thought I might as well have a good lunch instead. I'm not encouraging you to do that, but I, I operate uh, under the sovereignty of God and understand fully what God's sovereignty is. I've seen it over and over and over in my life. But then, because at that time I had made a commitment to my local church as my pastor was overseas, that I'll stay there till the 30th of June. He was doing some doctorate uh, somewhere on the planet and uh, I had to take responsibility for the church till he returns. So what do you do? God is sovereign. And then 28th of June, I walked in at four o'clock to the, the executive director's office and uh, behind this chair uh, was a world map. And uh, as I looked at the map, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. I sent some inner voice tell me, your visa has come. What? Your visa has come. Now I'm in an office, the telegram had come home. I went home, the visa was there. You shall not go by haste, nor by flight, but God will go with you when you go. So when we know there's a finality in God's word, we can wait well. We cannot afford the luxury of making a bad choice or a mistake and ending up living short of our destiny. So here is David. He's anointed. He's chosen. And he's waiting. But at the right time, God sends people to him. God has a time for everything under the sun, says Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And if we wait for God's time, we can see the fulfillment of God's promise in its totality. The book of Galatians teaches us that in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Not a day early, not a day late. And, and then you might ask the question, now, if God has a time, why should I pray? When you pray, you know what happens. God doesn't change, but you do. When you pray, God will begin to put the little things in place in your life that are missing. When you pray, you grow and develop in patience and character. God is the same before, during, and after my prayer. But then you begin to understand there are some parts of God that I don't understand because I am mortal and human. He is a. So when we prayed and we got the outcome, we realized we have a responsibility that we took until that is fulfilled. We cannot go. 30th of June, my pastor returned. 28th of June, I got the telegram. Those days it was telegram. So God's time. And everything fell into place. Then I remember when we came here, we were applying for jobs and jobs. I think I must have applied for 200 jobs and didn't have even one interview. That's very encouraging. And then we decided the following Monday, we were going to fly back. My job was still there if I needed it. 
a friend of mine had contacts in South Africa and he was going to send us the tickets from South Africa because of the foreign exchange crisis in Sri Lanka. You couldn't buy tickets locally. And on Thursday, I went to the city for an interview. And I had finished the interview, and as I remember correctly, at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I think it was a fairly hot day, I know, because I was wearing a brown suit that was roasting me personally. I was sitting on a bench of, of a bus stand, and, and suddenly somebody walked across the road and came and sat next to me, and he was a white man. I'm brown, he's white. Just depends on how you look. And he sat next to me and he said, I don't know what you're going through, but the Lord wants me to tell you that whatever you're going through will be fixed quickly. And he's gone. Now, I, I, I'm very cautious. I, I, I'm not saying I saw an angel or anything. The only angel I've seen is the one sitting here. So you get extra bonus marks on those commands. Some of you guys should try it. And, and let me tell you something, guys. Never tell your wife, look at that lady, what a nice dress she's wearing. Never do that. That's a penalty, that sentence. You, you might ask me, how do I know? Because I've learned from experience. And then on Friday, Friday I went for an interview. Gibson Chemicals shelter now, three o'clock. While I was still in the train, she got a call at home saying, you got the job, you got the job. Three days would have made a difference. I would have ended up back in Ziglag, not Jerusalem. We are planning to go back. But God in his grace sent somebody to me. And I embraced that word. And you know what? I discovered six months later when I resigned from my job, because I got a better one. The manager, the national production manager called me, sat me down and he said, if I had seen your CV, I would never have employed you. Because I know you won't stay here long. You'll just transit from here. And, and, and go somewhere else. So I asked him, why did you employ me then? He said, in the shipping department, we have a manager who's a Sri Lankan, and when he talks, I can't understand. I said, so you are the only Sri Lankan who applied. So I thought, one Sri Lankan, better two Sri Lankan. They understand each other. Wow, can God work like that? He can, and by the grace of God, I didn't end up in Zinglang. Living a lesser life, that's important. When God has a destiny for you in Jerusalem, don't stay at Ziglang. Don't give in to the Philistines. The Philistines were there to harass the believer. And the word Philistine means to wear down emotionally. We are emotional people and, and so often Sri Lankans much more. You know, when Sri Lanka loses a cricket match, the entire country of 24 million is mourning. Just tell them to practice a little harder. No need to mourn. Everybody sell. So why are you saying, we lost the match? I said, but you're not a good team. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Aye, aye, aye. Man, that'll get your attitude going, isn't it? David was faithful to the vision, even though he made a mistake and moved out of life. So you might be sitting here and you're smiling on the outside, but deep down in your soul, there are, there are tensions as, as you are trying to work out what the will of God for your life is. Hold on in faith when nothing is working because he is faithful who promised. God is faithful. God is faithful who promised. 
And the Bible teaches me in book of Numbers, all the promises of God are yea and amen to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's the precondition. That no matter what I am experiencing in life today, I will hold on to what God has promised for my life, even though experientially I can't see much happening. God is at work in David's life, even though he didn't think so. And so God sends people to David to encourage him. God sends people to David to tell David, you can't do this alone. You are in need of support. And here I am sending the support you need. But you know the problem with many Christians is we have too much pride to seek help. Pride is internal. Pride is subtle. We all have it as a result of the fall. Different measures of it. When you are proud and arrogant, you think you can manage life on your own without help. And that's not the way God ordained it. That's not the way God ordained it. And so there are within his body men and women who have been anointed and, and have the skill and the wisdom and the experience and the years of expertise to help you in that journey forward. But you have to seek help. The responsibility is yours. And in my journey, whenever I've needed help, I, I have been humble enough to call somebody who has a lesser ministry than mine, but more wisdom than me, who is younger than me, and say, well, how do you think I should handle this? It's simple. Faithfulness to the vision is one mark of his legitimacy. David stayed with his vision even in the downtimes. And during those downtimes, he learned to lean on God. When there was nothing else to lean on. And then this is God sent to him. And, and here's another principle that God gave us this vision when we pioneered this church. This is not our vision. This is God's vision worked through us. But we stayed committed to it through the down times. Wow. There were times I used to preach to five people. Five. And the Lord said, before we have the 50, you've got to be faithful to the five. And, and let me tell you, preaching to those five wasn't easy. They were war veterans. They came from World War II. But I had to stay committed to the vision. I would say, God, please bring one person here. When we had to buy this building, we prayed, God, I should pray, send one millionaire here, one, one, just one is enough. But they went to the Assemblies of God, Faith in Dandenong, Pastor Alan Davis's church. Wow. He's a friend of mine, by the way. But you know what? Little becomes much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. And so we stayed faithful to the vision. And I would think the sun would never rise in that context. But God is faithful who promised. And today, we have created an atmosphere and an environment where you can walk in and if you're committed to the cause we serve, you can find your place of ministry also. That's what it is about. So it's not just for 20% of the people who are involved in everything here. No, no, no. Every one of you has potential within you. And our role and responsibility is to draw that potential out and take you to Jerusalem, which is the place that God has destined for you. You can be a pillar or a caterpillar. There's a quote from my 35 years in Sri Lanka. Some are pillars. 
you can't move them, but at least they are pillars. They hold it up. You can't get much out of them, but it's okay. And others are caterpillars. It's like the Catholic priest in the Catholic Church. When he takes the communion wine, he says, now you see me, now you don't. And he ducks under that thing and he has a quick swing and he's back again. I know because we were altar boys and we used to be at the back hoping he'd keep some left for us. Never did it. God cannot be hurried in the fullness of time. God sent people. And the people God sent were aligned with David's purpose and destiny. So David goes out to meet them from the tribe of Benjamin because these are Saul's boys. They have come from another camp, another culture. And, and sometimes when you transition from one church culture to another, it's hard to understand the new culture because we don't do things like you did it in the church you came from. No. We got to do it the way God has called us to do it here. And every church is different. If you study the book of Revelation, the seven churches, you will realize that every church is different. So some people, sometimes come and say, you know, Pastor, don't you do this and don't you do that? I can only do this. Because that's what God has called me to do. But this vision is big enough for God to take your vision and put it within that. It's simple. It's not complex. And if God has brought you here and you find the chemistry, then you understand that this is the place that God wants you to be. If not, you discover where that place is and serve God faithfully wherever. No problem. No problem. There's a chemistry. So, so David goes out to meet them and he says, hey, this is not about gifting. This is about heart issues. If your heart is united with mine, then you can be part of my ministry team. If not, seeing there is no motivation, wrong motivation in my hands, you can find your destiny and purpose elsewhere, and God has a purpose elsewhere for you, no, no problem. But then the Spirit of God comes upon Amasai, who was the chief of the captains. Wow, wow. That's a powerful thing because the Spirit of God didn't often come upon people in the Old Testament, only from time to time. The Spirit of God comes upon Amasai, who is the chief, and he says, we are one, David, we are one, for we see God helps you. And only then did David make them captains in his troop. Wow. You know, I, I think sometimes in church life we look for fills. You know, fills and gophers, there are two types of people. Go for this, go for that, go for this. There was a time I used to observe, because I get paid to observe, right? And, and I used to see a, a young person join a particular ministry team. Okay, I, I matured a little, so I won't name the team. And, and uh, the, the, the young person is about 13 years old. And you know what the first job they get? To do the photocopying. They're gophers. And then I've seen the gopher get smart. And they begin to think, this is the gopher job. This is not equipping job. And they find another younger person and pass the photocopying to that person. Hello? <laughs> this is not about finding a fill. You know, there's a need there, just take somebody off the rug, like the 13 caps and put them somewhere. No, no, no. This is to sit down with paper and say, hey, look, are you serious about going to where God wants you to be? Because if you are serious, come, sit down, let's talk and we can help you. Then no conflict, less conflict. If you go for a job, you've got to go for an interview, right? 
and then we find they find out are you compatible for this role you may be the most gifted person but we are looking at an attitude approach if you have the right attitude and an empty head god can use you and so can we i had a couple who maybe 15 14 15 years ago who who whom one of you brought to church and and uh, uh when i see people i can say this is going to work this is not going to work i got the inness because i founded this right and so they came to me and then so and so introduced me you know this is so and so and so and so mr so and so and want me to shake their hands and rub their head i'm not the nurturing type that's not my call so i knew this is not going to work before we went to step 2 so then i asked them just out of courtesy uh what can you do now the, the first sunday in church right first sunday good for some of you to listen to this they said we like to keep your books i said can you keep our hymn books didn't see them the following week <laughs> oh dear gifting we don't look for people out of gifting we look for people out of calling because when you're called you will serve wherever you are asked to serve you will serve wherever because serving god and his church is a privilege these guys were more skilled than david they were more skilled they could fight lions they were ambidextrous they were powerful warriors but here's another principle david didn't get intimidated as a leader by their skill because david knew god had called him So when somebody comes alongside you and might be more gifted than you you don't feel insecure because you are sure of your calling it's a profound principle it's called the principle of calling i'm just trying to walk through this whole conversation that david had with some of these guys and 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 you know uh, anybody lesser than david would have wanted to intimidate they Verse 15 says, "These are they that went over the Jordan in the first month when it had overflowed its banks, and they put to flight all of them in the valleys, both westward, eastward." Verse 8: Some of the Gerites they are generated themselves unto David, men of war fit for battle. They could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and were swift as the roes roes upon the mountains. Wow, gifted, gifted, and yet. David said you can be part of my army because your heart has been aligned with mine that's all that's all we need in the church today we don't need more gifted people we need more people with a servant heart who can carry the gift well that's the difference so David makes them captains in his troop and then in the right time in the right season god brought to pass what god had promised in deep insecurities cause us to self destruct self you know i've had people talk to me not when i go overseas and preach and they say i don't feel wanted here anymore i can't feel you empty cup only god can There's such a paradox sometimes in kingdom life and I've seen this in hundreds of churches not just isolated ones 
people are praying for growth and harvest. And then God sends in all sorts of people in different shapes, sizes, colors, BMIs. And then they say, I don't feel wanted here. Because inside there is a hold emotionally from bad parenting that only God can fill. So they go somewhere else and they go somewhere else and there's a honeymoon period. In church life, there's a honeymoon period. Two years, you know, they call the pastor and the pastor says hello and then they have a, a friendship and then after two years, the pastor says now it's time for you to move on and they see pastor doesn't call me. I know somebody who goes to a church in Colombo and the only reason he goes to that church is because if he doesn't show up in church on Sunday, on Monday, the pastor calls him dumb pastor. He's 20 years in that church. Grow up. Grow up. Take responsibility for your spiritual life. How many of you know I don't call you? I've created a culture. You can do better without me. That's what it is. Grow up. Three years, Jesus had his disciples. Three years, he let them go. Let them go. Amen? Say amen, even if you don't like it. We teach people to take responsibility for their spiritual life and go on and go on and find your destiny because when you are so busy seeking your destiny, you have no time to be Nambi Pambi Kasba Milkdot. That's it. That's it. So David is waiting as a blank, bad place. He's under siege from Saul, the Philistines, and he's sandwiched between a rock and a hard place. But you know what? God sends somebody with a word of encouragement to him. Wow. And then David begins to rejoice. Because when God has a plan for your life, my friend, you know without a shadow of doubt in God's time it'll happen. Whenever God, whenever God has called you to journey to destiny, do it well. Handle heart issues well. Often our heart gets contaminated by jealousy, envy, and strife. And we have to deal with that stuff. We all have to. We all have to. But if there is one thing I have realized, that the only person who can stop me from my destiny is me. So I keep my heart clean. And it's not easy. But it's possible by the grace of God. Keep short accounts with God. Bring your emotions, your insecurities to God and say, God, you know I am a mess. I've had a messed up childhood and maybe my parents didn't handle me the best way they knew. But I thank you, God. I'm going to stop blaming my parents and take responsibility for my life because your word says I am fearfully and wonderfully made I am not going to keep on binging and whining that the price of carrots in Sri Lanka is 3,000 rupees. Even though I don't eat them, I'm going to get on with my life. I don't know about you. I'm having my best life now. You know why? I'm serving. And people ask me. I, I, I have ministry people ask me, how is your health? What do you expect? Me to die or something? I am going anywhere. I am going anywhere. I have more energy now than I had 20 years ago. I'm all fired up. I'm like one of those BMWs ready to take off. Do I have bad days? I do. Arthritis, this, like this, all the itis. But I don't focus on that. Because I believe 
I have a destiny in Jerusalem. And I'm not going to let the enemy take me to Ziegleg and get me stuck there in self-pity and, you know, feeling sorry for myself. And there were times when I did that. But I've learned to grow up and grow in faith and stand strong in the midst of adversity because God is faithful who promised. Wow. Has the journey been painful? It has. But I choose to grow from the pain. Not easy. And you know something I realized, my greatest ministry now to pastors and leaders and we minister to over 2,000 at a time uh, or in any given year has come out of pain. You can't preach to pastors and leaders until you walk where they have walked, until you've gone through where they have been hurting, until you've been betrayed, until you've been disappointed, until you had a knife in your back and you've taken the knife out and asked God to clean the wound and you've chosen to move on to Jerusalem. I could have said other times I say, nobody cares for me. And God will be grow up. Grow up. So the growth came at a price. But you know what? You can stand tall like an oak tree. Because you can tell yourself, I am still standing. I am going to walk to Jerusalem. I'm not going to let somebody's pain disappoint me. I'm not going to let somebody's gifting stand in the way of my purpose. God has a plan for their lives and that has nothing to do with me. I'm going to focus on what I have to do and keep focused and keep pressing into God. In Ziglag, the enemy tried to press David down, but David rose up. That's why he's called a man after God's heart. You know, First Samuel 30, his own, his own men Want to stone him. He took 600 blackguards, whatever what that means uh, in English, I, I, I didn't go to Oxford, and, and he developed them into a fighting army. And when he made a mistake, they wanted to kill him, stone him. And what did David do? He went to God. He consulted with the Lord. And he asked the Lord, Shall I go or shall I stay? And David, the, the Lord told David, Go forward, you will get all back. God's promise is a promise of restoration. Restoration. Every part of your painful life can be taken away. If you tell yourself, I am not going to stay in Ziegleg. I'm not going to complain in the morning and I'm not going to whinge about my husband and I'm not going to whinge about my wife and I'm just going to stay focused on the destiny that God has for me, whatever that is. The only person that can stop me from going there is me. And David reached his potential. It was a three-part journey. He had three anointings, not one. But ultimately, he became king of Israel. And the first thing he did was to build, plan to build the temple through his son Solomon. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back, you know, and he restored worship. That's what vision is all about. It's not just something we put on a board there to look cute. That's not the purpose. That thing involves a lot of commitment and, and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of pain. When we started that, that was 35, 38 years ago, I don't know, so, so long ago, 1987, 89, when we sat together with, with a group of people who are from, from the United States who knew what they were talking about. We sat down and we worked through those things and this is what God is calling us to do. One, two, three, four, four pillars. And 
we move forward. And today we have a facility like this. When 30 years ago, somebody told me we would have this, I would have never believed it possible. But you know what? This is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not just a physical place. It's a place where you find destiny and purpose. But in order to do that, you have to engage with God. You've got to make the sacrifices. You've got to be willing to do the extra time. You've got to be, you know, some people like ministry. We like ministry. Yeah, everybody likes Even the devil likes it. It's not about ministry. It's about service. And I think we, we focus too much on the word leader. So we have all chiefs and no Indians. In the Bible, the word leader is four times about. The word servant is about 30 odd times. But I think in the Western church, we have got that balance wrong. So everybody wants to be a leader. And they're leading nothing. Sometimes we lead a herd of goats instead of leading a herd of sheep. Big difference between the two. So I want to challenge you today to make a decision to connect to your life purpose. And say, I'm tired of just showing up in church. You know, when, when we were in the Catholic church, that's what we ran home. If the priest was five minutes late, we complained. There are churches in this country, mainline churches, where the congregation tell the priest how long to preach. Yeah? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah? That's the audacity of culture. And we call it Christianity. That's not Christianity. We are already saved, already going to heaven. So I want to challenge you today. Discover your Jerusalem. That's where God has called you. That's where he has positioned you, where he wants you to be. And if you are at Zinglag, get out of the pity party and start taking responsibility for your life. I do that from time to time. I got to say, God, I am created for such a time as chief's kids might get me the cheap one. I'm excited because they are nothing greater than serving God. Amen. <music>